working on the, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There's one overarching big idea about all of the fruit of the Spirit in these two little verses of Galatians chapter 5. And that one overarching big idea is simply this. There ought to be a family resemblance. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, what we've seen and what we've heard so far is this. There ought to be a family resemblance. God is love, and so God's people are to love. God is joy, and God is peace, and so God's people are to be joyful and peaceful. God is patient, God is kind, and so God's people are to be patient and kind. Now, as we began, or as I began, to consider uh, myself in light of who God is, and then I consider who I am in compared to who God is, I have to be honest that I come up a little bit short. I know that none of you have that same problem. A lot short. Okay, good. While we hear the truth of God's word, we're confronted with the fact that we're fankled with sin. We don't love the way we should. We don't have joy or peace or patience or kindness. We simply aren't the way we ought to be. This is actually good news. I know it sounds weird to say that this is actually good news, but it is good news. We ought not despair when confronted with the reality of our sinfulness because we live under the cross. We live with the reality of an empty tomb. And so, yes, we are convicted of our sin, but we are called all the more to turn to Jesus for forgiveness, healing, and transformation. As we look at the fruits of the Spirit and the character of God, we come to a deeper appreciation of God's holiness. We, become, we come to a greater awareness of our sin, and the cross looms larger for us. This is for our good. It may not feel like it, but it is for our good. As we consider who God is and who we are, it is for our good to come under the convicting work of the Holy Spirit because that is a place of grace. That is a place of repentance, a place of transformation. And I've got really terrible news for you this morning. As we look at goodness and faithfulness, it doesn't get any easier. We come to the spirit fruit of goodness and faithfulness, and we see once again there ought to be a family resemblance. The concept of goodness revolves around two basic ideas. When we first call something or someone good, we're saying that it is pleasant or that it's desirable. We're saying that we enjoy it. Reese's peanut butter cups are good in this way, especially around Easter time because the eggs have twice as much peanut butter to chocolate ratio, and so they're better. They're good. My wife's sugar cookies are good. Smoked meat is good. Unless you think that I only operate out of my stomach, the guitar playing of Stevie Ray Vaughan is good. It's pleasant. It's desirable. There's a second basic idea of goodness, and that has to do with a moral character. To say that someone is good in this second way is to say that his or her character is perfect. It has an abiding interest in the welfare of, of others, that this character is expressed in action. And think of a good person. Think of some heroes from the page or from film, Luke Skywalker or Aragorn, Alyosha or Wesley the farm boy. They are good. They're tightly bound up, fankled, if you will, with kindness. Goodness is the moral attribute of doing the right thing 
even if it hurts, and even if no one else is looking. There's a real generosity of self that is connected to goodness because the expression of goodness is always costly to the one who is doing the good. There's no such thing as a free lunch, someone once said. There's also no, no such thing as a free good action. And what about faithfulness? Well, faithfulness is that trait of being someone in whom others can place their trust. Faithfulness is dependability. Faithfulness is constancy. Faithfulness is reliability. Old Faithful is a geyser in Yellowstone National Park. Perhaps we've heard of it. It was named Old Faithful in 1870 by Nathaniel P. Langford. And it was named Old Faithful because of its regular and dependable eruptions. The geyser will spout every 65 or 91 minutes, depending upon the duration of the previous blast. Old Faithful. The sun is faithful. Maybe I should say that the earth is faithful to twirl upon its axis every 24 hours. Dogs are faithful. Cats, not so much. <laughs> but certainly, are people faithful? It's actually really difficult to find illustrations of goodness and faithfulness from real people. I had to dig into the pages of fiction. I had to look at nature for goodness and faithfulness because like the other spirit fruit, goodness and faithfulness do not come naturally to us as humans. This is not the way it was supposed to be because we were made in the image of God. We're to reflect the one who created us and our creator is goodness. Our creator is faithfulness. Goodness reflects the ideas of being delightful and morally pure, being perfect in behavior driven by perfect motivation. God is good. Faithfulness is dependability. It is a loyal and steadfast commitment to someone or something. It is reliable. God is faithful. This morning we heard a description of God's goodness and God's faithfulness from the song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The rock, his work is perfect. Let me just push pause just for a second. The Rock here is not Dwayne Johnson, movie star, professional wrestler. The Rock here is Yahweh, the God of the Exodus, the God of the people of Israel. And Moses is singing this song of praise. He says, The Rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And think about what God was doing when Moses sang this song of praise. Think about what God had done. He'd already delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. He'd already provided sweet water, bread, and meat in the wilderness for the people. He had already suffered their sin and continued to work on behalf of his people. He'd uh, operated militarily to defeat the enemies of Israel. He gave them his law. He made his presence known to them in the tabernacle. Here, as Moses sings this song of praise, the people of Israel, the second generation out of exile, out of Exodus, are bridged and prepared to enter into the promised land. God's work is perfect. All his ways are justice. God has constantly done for the people of Israel the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. God is good. A bit later in the life of Israel, a songwriter will proclaim, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. 
And Christopher Wright sums it up quite nicely when he simply says, God is good and God does good. God is faithful. He's dependable. God does what he says he will do. He shows up when he says he will show up. Even as the people of Israel wander after foreign gods and are stiff-necked, as the people of Israel are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Even as the people of Israel are taken into exile and the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, by the way, just as God said it would be, He goes into exile with them, as seen by the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1. And even while the people of Israel receive his discipline, God remains faithful to his people. He's reliable. He's dependable. He is there for them, not because he needs them, but because he was committed to them. God is faithfulness. Jesus is goodness and faithfulness with legs. In Acts chapter 10, St. Peter is with the Gentile Cornelius and Cornelius' extended family. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And in verse 38, this is how Peter describes Jesus. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus is goodness. Jesus is faithful to God. Jesus is faithful, reliably working out, dependable to perform the mission that God has given him and to his followers. As Jesus went about healing, preaching, feeding, loving, as Jesus went about giving of himself with generosity to others, he was always trustworthy and dependable. There's a curious little question in the middle of Mark's gospel In the middle of a storm, Jesus has taken a nap on the boat. The disciples wake him up, and they say, Do you not care whether we perish? Of course he cares. That's why he's there. Because he's dependable. He is faithful. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was tempted by Satan to give up, to give in. And yet Jesus was faithful. At one point, when Jesus began to explain, explained to his disciples that he was going to die upon the cross. Peter himself tempted Jesus to give up the way of the cross, and yet Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, and remains faithful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the pain that was to come, Jesus prayed for the cup to pass, if possible. It wasn't possible. And Jesus drank the cup of judgment and wrath to its dregs with faithfulness. How many of us, when we think about the goodness and faithfulness of God, actually think about the cross? And yet it is the greatest symbol of God's goodness and faithfulness, isn't it? Goodness is doing what is right for the sake of another, even when it hurts, even if they don't deserve it. And surely the cross is the goodness of God. Faithfulness is reliability. It is dependability. It is a commitment to another. Surely. The cross is the faithfulness of God. The Father is good. The Father is faithful. The Son is good. The Son is faithful. There ought to be a family resemblance. The Holy Spirit works to conform believers in Jesus into the image of Jesus for the glory of the Father. Those who follow after Jesus are to reflect His goodness and His faithfulness, and therein lies the problem. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uttered a couple of words that I really wish he would never have said. He says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just let the weight of that settle just for a minute. 
a few seconds here. Jesus saying to this crowd of people gathered around him in Matthew chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good and moral attribute, the way the Father is. Perfect in behavior with perfect motivation, seeking the welfare of others. Perfectly good and faithful. Who among us can say that we're perfectly good and faithful like the Father? None of us. At least not with honesty. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us of who we are. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The reason why I had to find illustrations of goodness and faithfulness from fiction and nature is because, quite frankly, as Flannery O'Connor has put it, a good man is hard to find. These things, goodness and faithfulness, don't come naturally to us. Now, we like to think that we would be selflessly at work for the good of another at personal cost. We like to think that we are dependable. At the very least, we like to think that if placed in a situation with the capacity to do harm to another or to do something that was not right with no possibility of consequence, that we would still do the right thing, that we would refrain from harming someone or doing something wrong. We like to think that. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. There were two experiments run by professors of psychology in the 1960s and 70s that I find to be really interesting. Professor Stanley Milgram ran a series of experiments at Yale University in which regular folks were instructed to press a button, believing that pressing the button would shock someone they could not see, but they could hear. There was this press the button, and then in, in a couple of minutes, they would escalate the electricity to a, a greater shock. And all along, as they're pressing the button, the recipient, it was a fake recipient, they were an actor, there wasn't really attached to electricity, they would continually cry out all the more. Milgram found that despite hearing cries for mercy under the authority of someone in a lab coat, regular folks would repeatedly press the button, even when they knew they were causing pain in another, or thought they were causing pain in another. Professor Philip Zimbardo ran the Stanford prison experiment in which young men were separated into two groups, prisoners and guards. The degradation of the prisoners at the hands of the guards began on the first day of what was supposed to be a week-long experiment. He had to cut the experiment short because the degradation and the abuse grew, escalated. Over the course of these days, <clears throat> the prisoners were subjected to humiliation and degradation at the hands of their guards. And reflecting upon this experiment, Zimbardo writes, some guards have transformed into perpetrators of evil, and other guards have become passive contributors to the evil through their inaction. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We're not naturally good. And we're within a, a system that, because the system is made up of people who are not naturally good, the system itself is not naturally good, does not encourage goodness or faithfulness. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are desperately sick. We're not good. We're not faithful. What do we need? We need Jesus because of what Jesus gives us. We need new hearts, right? Jesus puts it this way. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Listen to this list. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's a whole lot of stuff coming out of the heart. Ain't none of it good. 
Jesus says, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The heart, as Jeremiah says, is desperately sick. We need new hearts. We need to be made new. We are dead and need to be made alive. We need recreation. We need restoration. We need re-imaging. Thanks be to God, the very thing that we need to be, the very thing we need to be like Him, God gives In Ezekiel chapter 36, God proclaims, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the gospel. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in his goodness and his faithfulness. He gives us a new heart He gives us his own spirit. St. Paul puts it this way, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We're zombies, folks. We look like we're alive. We give the appearance of life, but we are zombies. We are dead men and women walking. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But here's a really huge but. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For the second time in a few verses, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The very thing that we need, God gives a new heart. The very thing that we need in order to be good like him, in order to be faithful like him, in order to be perfect like him, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he gives to us freely to change us from the inside out so that there might be, as there ought to be, a family resemblance. God's people are to image him with goodness and faithfulness, doing good and being dependable. We can't do this. Even worse, we won't do this, not on our own. But thanks be to God that we can be good and faithful because God is good and faithful as the Father adopts us through the Son in the Holy Spirit and works to change us, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Thus far, we've seen that the triune God is good and faithful. We've seen that only through the gospel and power of the Holy Spirit can we be good and faithful. But what does that look like with skin on, so to speak? We need to consider goodness and faithfulness as connected together and leaning in two directions, vertically and horizontally. Author Jerry Bridges points out that uh, these are social and uh, carry with them social and spiritual obligations. So first, vertically, what does it look like to be good and faithful toward God? Well, Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew 25 helps us here. Jesus tells this parable within the context of a wider teaching. He's talking about his second coming. Jesus says that concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
And as he continues to talk about his second coming, Jesus then tells a series of parables about how believers in Jesus should live while they wait. This fourth parable is the parable of the talents. And this is what it looks like to be ready. A master is leaving on a journey. He entrusts his three servants with his wealth. He, based on his assessment of their abilities, he gives them a quantity of treasure to work with, to serve him using the gifts he's given them while he's away. To one, he gives five talents. To another, he gave two. And to the third, he gave one. The master's away for a long time. When he returns, he finds the servant with five talents doubled that amount. He finds the servant with two talents also doubled that amount. To these two servants, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When he comes to the third, however, the mood shifts. The, the third servant only received one talent. Remember, it was given the one talent on the master's uh, expectation of his talent, <clears throat> his assessment of his talent. He took his one talent and dug a hole and buried it. He did nothing with it. He deliberately disobeyed. And this is an insult to the master. And then when the master comes, his own attempt to justify his behavior actually indicts him all the more. If he really thought the master was a hard man, then, and if he was really afraid, he would have at least invested the talent in a bank to gain some level of interest. Rather, what we actually see, this third servant cares nothing for the master. He doesn't love the master. He certainly isn't afraid of the master. Rather, he is indifferent to the master, more concerned with his own well-being, more concerned with the fact that the cat is way away and now he as a mouse will get to play and seeks after his own. And so this servant was neither good nor faithful. In fact, he's rebuked as wicked and slothful. So from this parable, what does it mean to be good and faithful vertically toward God? We do the things he's given us to do with the gifts he's given us. Remember what St. Paul writes just at the end of that Ephesians chapter 2 passage. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christians are not saved by good works, but they are saved for good works. And being good and faithful toward God means we are good and faithful to others. Being faithful to God, we do good for others with faithfulness to them. Doing good means doing right by another, seeking their welfare even when it costs something and when no one else is looking, and doing it with dependability. If you're looking for a checklist this morning of things to do in order to be good, I'm afraid you're disappointed today because doing good varies widely depending on the variety of contexts in which we find ourselves. This is all the more reason why we actually need the Holy Spirit. He works in us to grow the spirit fruit of goodness and faithfulness as we obey, as we actively work, and he gives us wisdom to understand what is goodness and faithfulness in that situation. And Paul himself doesn't give us a checklist of what is good, but he does say this a few sentences after the list of the spirit fruit. Brothers, if anyone is caught up and caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, working for the good of another. Looks like restoration. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law 
of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Being good and faithful means seeking out the welfare of another, helping with dependability, bearing burdens. He says this, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Faithfulness, consistency, dependability. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Goodness and faithfulness, the spirit fruit of seeking the welfare of others, even at personal cost, and doing so with dependability. That looks like God. Then there ought to be a family resemblance. A good and faithful man is hard to find. Jesus is good. Jesus is faithful. And there ought to be a family resemblance. What this world needs is more of Jesus and more of Jesus in us. And so let us obey and let us pray that we would see this spirit fruit grown as the Holy Spirit works in us as we obey for the glory of God and for witness to the gospel. I've said these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks for Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Conform us more and more into the image of Christ, that we would be good and faithful. Good and faithful doing what you have given us to do. Good and faithful seeking the welfare of others. That we may hear from the lips of the Master, our Lord Jesus, as he returns. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and do your work in us for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.